Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, when I, I think it's been great this morning already, hasn't it? God in the house. Hallelujah. Thank you for the band and God using you guys. Tremendous time this morning. When I uh, went to uni uh, originally the first time and um, I was plonked in halls next to, uh, it was an all guys dorm, I was plonked next to a guy whose name was Phil, an old mate of mine, and uh, this guy, we got to know each other a bit, we were in the same course and the same classes and so on, and he, he was a, an interesting character. He, um, he had long hair down to his shoulders, he had a long beard and uh, a little moustache, he looked what I would think Moses probably looks like. Um, he used to wear a bowler hat, bowler hat, Moses didn't wear a bowler hat, but he had a bowler hat. He used to wear um, kind, of, kind of country mountain boots, he had patch jeans. And he had an interesting jacket, it's a bit like Joseph, I bet at times, different colours and stuff. And a broken guitar case. And we were together in the same uh, course. And as we went ahead and did things and just hung out and, and went to uh, classes, it was pretty clear that he was, uh, he loved three things a lot. He loved the Beatles, and his room was called the Beatles Room and it had all these posters and stuff in it. Uh, he, he loved Neil Young, and so he was learning guitar as well. He was a drummer, but he was learning um, guitar, and he loved Jesus, and it was really clear. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like Neil Young. I could handle the Beatles, no problem at all. And I didn't know about the whole Jesus thing, but I forget, you know, whichever, it's okay you know, if this is uh, Phil's thing. So uh, we just got to know each other, and we spent time, and it was so natural as we would spend time and talking and walking and you know, we stayed on weekends and we camped and did all sorts of stuff and Jesus was just always a part of it. And it was so uh, not awkward. It was so normal. It was so regular. It was so re- just every day and it was nothing weird. And, uh, and it was tremendous. And for me, uh, he kind of understood, I think, just the, the, the normalcy of being a believer and just bringing Jesus right into all that we were involved in. And it was tremendous. And, and then at some point, you know, you, I had to reach that place where what am I going to do with all that that I know about? And so it was uh, amazing stuff. And, and so for me, he kind of understood about um, the hope that believers can bring um, others. And he understood what Jesus had done for him. And, and he wasn't a part of a church at that time, really, because we were away from home. He wasn't part of an outreach team. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a singer. He was just... This guy who was sent to a uni and so was I and he was just living his life. And yet it was just so clear that uh, the Lord had done something in his life. And uh, so today we're going to talk a little bit about that, about that whole third component, their hope. First of all, we had his presence. Uh, Dave started us off with that one. Don brought us into our community and, and this one uh, is called uh, their hope and it's the third sort of component. And, um, and so you might think, well, okay, hang on a second, how... How are we their hope? And, and so I'm, I'm just going to touch on a couple of things today and then share a few examples of, of how we see this. Um, how are we their hope? Well, we're kind of the hope of, if you like, the world. We're part of the church and we're the hope for others who are not in the church. And actually for some of us who are in the church as well who are going through things, okay, because somehow God has done a work in us. And I'm just reading out of Colossians, okay? And it says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
So in us, somehow, the hope of glory is in us. And to be able to share that and to share it without any awkwardness or weirdness, but the hope of glory. And I think Phil just was able to do that so normally with these patched jeans and we do the guitar together and, you know, we'd be hitchhiking to different parts of the country and it was just so normal, uh, the hope of glory, which I kept hearing about and seeing uh, in this guy. And it was it was tremendous stuff. So if, uh, you know, you have put the Lord as the Lord of your life, then you have the hope of glory, which is amazing, okay? And you can reach out to these other guys, and it doesn't have to be a weird thing. Well, where could this occur, you might ask? Where could it occur? Well, the, the Word makes it pretty clear in a couple of cases. And in Acts 1.8, this is just in before the Pentecost, when uh, the Holy Spirit comes, uh, Jesus talks uh, a little bit uh, about going into Jerusalem. I mean, uh, the Spirit, uh, we hear it come down and uh, about Judea. Uh, here it is here. Uh, I'll pick it up in verse 7 and 8. Uh, it's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set for his own, by his own authority. And then he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And generally speaking, we see, uh, most commentators say Jerusalem's kind of your home area. Uh, Judea is like your nation. Um, Samaria is the uh, cross-cultural thing, okay, if different folks are in your, in your nation. And of course, the ends of the earth. And so So it's kind of getting from the small and closer local, then going further and further out. And then uh, in Matthew 28, of course, about going into uh, all the nations and making disciples and baptizing them. And so, fantastic. So there's a great opportunity out there. But as I was weighing this up and thinking it through and and stuff, I thought, hang on a second, what is the bottom line? If there's a bottom line, what we're talking about, we've talked about... His presence, and this morning, his presence was among us. A great time of worship this morning. I really enjoyed it. Tremendous stuff. His presence. Our community, we're building a community. Uh, different people have been, come from the, the nations, that the flags demonstrate there. And, uh, and so God uh, is at work uh, in us. But what is a critical point for their hope? Well, as I just kind of waited on God and kind of prayed it through, it's pretty clear that before we can be their hope, that Jesus must first be our hope, or if you like, my hope, okay? It's going to be tough to, to be their hope if it's not my hope, first of all. So we need to, to, to deal with that. And, um, and so uh, you might say, well, hello, obviously, you know. But the point is, I'm not sure that we all necessarily get that, okay? There needs to be a revelation of what the Lord has done for us, uh, a revelation uh, of, of what uh, our life was and where we are now. And, um, you know, and we sing about this in all of our songs, you know, we, we, uh, we were aliens, uh, we were servants, but we're not servants now, we're friends, we're, we're sons and daughters, uh, we're ambassadors of Christ, we're citizens of heaven, we're joint heirs, we're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood, and there's all this about who we are, uh, and about uh, our identity. It was something that Simon Holly touched on a bit in his preach during uh, the Catalyst meeting. And so this whole thing about what, uh, about who we are because of what God has done. In fact, uh, Anil, if you want to run that first picture for us, and this is our new kind of, uh, sl- um, we're going to use this for our outreach, and um, we've ordered this, haven't we done? We're going to use this actually now, yeah? And so this kind of folds up real small, about as big as a matchbox. And, and right there, um, it's kind of the outline of 
what Jesus has done for us. And we would give that to people that we meet. The heart is that God loves me, God loves us, and, um, and unconditionally so, whichever kind of shape you're in. Uh, the cross is that we've sinned, we've done some things wrong. Um, the cross is, the other cross is uh, Jesus has died for us and he took our place and so we don't have to pay that cost out of Romans 3.23. And then uh, we've got the question mark, so now it's up to us. There's a question mark that you've got something to decide now uh, based on that. And so um, if, we, if we really understand that, it makes a difference. And we're going to pass out these things. And I think we've passed out lots of these kinds of things before. But um, if we really understand and get a grip of what God has done. It changes the whole platform that we work on. Because without a revelation of who we are in the Lord, without a revelation of all that stuff about Jesus loved us, about that I've messed up, but he's come and he's forgiven us and all that, unless we have that, revel- uh, outreach, i got to tell you, it can be work. Outreach is work. Okay, uh, For some people, it can be a burden. Oh, no, not another. And somebody going, yes, praise God, we're going to do outreach. I was like, oh, no, it's a burden, man. Another meeting we've got to go to, another outreach thing. Uh, it can be out of, if it's out of a sense of duty or a sense of obligation uh, or a sense of responsibility, it's work. It's real work. And so, you know, you've got to get jibbied up and say, yes, okay, the Bible says this and we need to go out and do all these things. But if you have revelation of what God has done for you about where you were and what he's done and where he's brought you to, it changes your whole level of thinking. Because now you're inspired. You have this amazing kind of, wow, revelation of what God has done and you are compelled to speak with others. Not because you've got to. Phil wasn't told he had to talk to me. He wasn't even with the church. He was a next door neighbor. He was just living his life. But God had done such a thing in him. He'd come through a drunk thing and all that. But God had done such a thing in him. He was just going to share, just to mix it in with the Beatles and with Neil Young and with everything else that we were doing. And it just kind of worked. And it was very clear. It was not a big deal. And I think we make such a big deal out of it, it becomes like work and a burden, and a problem. And I just don't think or believe that God would have us see it as such a big burden and a problem. If we see that we have the hope of glory in us, and we're going to be their hope, but it's a major hassle every time we've got to go do something, it's just not going to work. You know, oh no, it's our turn, oh, I'm on again. You know, it's got to be something which is from inside, and you are inspired to go ahead and to share uh, with others. That's when you start getting inspiration. That's when you start getting passion. And folks who, who really understand that, do it freely. And it's not a problem. It's not something that has to be so organised. Now, to have a look, uh, to make this a bit clearer for me, uh, I, I went um, to, to the story of Peter. Okay, just follow his life a little bit. Because Peter, I think, Peter is a guy who's like us. Okay, Peter's, I mean, what a guy. Okay, Peter is, is one of those guys. Uh, if you look at this guy, he, yeah, I'll just touch on a little bit, but he is, is so, he's so passionate, he's so excitable, he's so real. You know, he makes mistakes, he gets these things crossed over and messed up. Um, Jesus loves him, God uses him, uh, but he's real, he's very real. And I, I like that about Peter. And so when Matt, when, when he was called, Jesus called him initially, 
you know, he was on the, the boats and working uh, with the guys doing the fishing. And, uh, and Jesus said, you know, come follow me. Okay, I looked at it from Matthew, Matthew 4. And he said, Matt, follow me. And uh, he just dropped everything and just followed him. And so for him, there must have been a sense that, that, that God was with this man. He didn't know too much about Jesus, but God, he, he sort of somehow had, uh, he was, you know, fully God, fully man. He sent something in Jesus. And so dropped his nets, something, you know, the nets. Uh, his livelihood. He just dropped everything. Um, he didn't try and sell it, didn't wash it out. Or he, just, he didn't say, hang on a second, who are you? Can I see some ID, please? It was none of that business. It was like, okay, no worries, let's go. And he had a sense of God in this particular guy. And so he just left his stuff and off he went. In the walking on the water thing, it was going just fine until he took his eyes off of Jesus and started to get all kind of wobbly and everything. And again, you can see all sorts of commentaries about that, but, you know, sort of took it on a bit of himself there, I think, you know. But the good thing about it, he was responsive. Jesus said, come, and he was responsive. He responded to, uh, to Jesus. You know, again, his heart is so passionate for God. Once he, he learns of, of, of who the Lord is and, um, you know, can see what, what he's doing. And there's an, there seems to be an understanding of that. Uh, when Jesus asks him, you know, in Matthew 26, so who do you say I am? And he says, uh, you know, you're the Christ, you're the son of God. And, and right there, so uh, that was inspired. But as he says that, there's a sense that okay, he understands that. Um, and yet... Uh, just a little way along from there, uh, you know, he says, you know, I'll never fall away. I'll always be here for you and everything. You know, really good words, really exciting stuff. And, and yet we know that it's not even the end of the chapter. He's already denied Jesus three times. And so he's a very real kind of a character. You know, when Jesus starts to tell him about his plan and says, you know, I need to go uh, to the cross and I'll die and then I'll be risen. He says, no, no, you know, don't, that's not going to happen. I'm gonna, I'll prevent that and you know, all that sort of thing. I'll step in for you. And Jesus just says, get behind me, Satan. You're nothing but a hindrance. And so he had a passionate heart, but he didn't really understand the purposes of God here. Didn't really quite get it. And I think some of us are like that at times. I certainly was. I was like, you know, I understood the scripture. I quote the scripture for you, but in terms of what God was really doing and of what God had really done in my life, I'm not sure I really grasped that. And so it was one of those things where you kind of, kind of grow in it, I think. And, and, uh, uh, unless you really pray for revelation, uh, of who we are in Him. And so what I've done is I've simply put together a couple of points which we see and have seen demonstrated here and elsewhere about how we might be their hope, okay, the hope of the people who don't know the Lord. Well, you know, as I've met people and I've spent time with them at different places and things, I've heard so many people say, you know, I just wish I had a testimony like, you know, I was a former mafia, you know, I was a, you know, I was a drug dealer or something, you know, or I, I did all these things, I was in prison, and I have such a, a su- such a lame testimony. My mum and dad were believers, you know, and so I'm like that, and I, I just don't have any impact in my my testimony, you know, and I think again, right there, we don't really quite, we haven't quite understood uh, what's happened because. You know, we need a revelation of who we are in him. So if you want to take the next slide uh, and you'll have a revelation of identity, you know, that we are sons and daughters, that we now uh, are not servants anymore. 
And, uh, and, and that's really important because if we have revelation of that, we're not looking for an amazing testimony coming out of the mafia and coming out of all of that, drugs and stuff, but we want to give a testimony of our amazing God and what he's done on us. I'll just say it again for you. It's not an amazing testimony about being from a drug cartel or someplace, but it's a testimony of this amazing God and who's done exactly the same thing for us that he's done with those guys from the mafia and from all that. I mean, as it turns out, in my training course, there were guys who were from triads. There were ex-prisoners and there were ex-drug dealers and corrupt policemen and other things. But you know what? Their testimony will be the same as us when we understand what the Lord has done. Because essentially, those guys were away from God and they came back to God and he delivered them through all that we just had a look at. And it's the same with us. And in fact, um, you know, a couple of our, a couple of our guys, uh, Rachel and Lizzie, have done exactly the same thing. You know, when we, when we uh, were in Gryatsi, okay, in Russia, and I asked Lizzie to give testimony, she was like, oh, no, it's all very worrying and everything, you know, 10 minutes before we started, just normal time. And so she had that before we started the meeting. And... Um, as she began to share testimony during this time, and it was the place settled down. Do you remember that, you guys? Do you remember that, 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 that meeting? Okay, the, the, all the noise and all the, yeah, all the, that was going on, all the joy, quietened down as she began to speak of what the Lord had done in her life. And before long, everyone was in tears. The whole place. It was amazing. God was at work. God was at work. And this awesome time went on from there. When we were in the youth meeting, uh, in, uh, in Skopje. But I asked Rachel this year, okay? And there was about 45 people, young guys, in this youth meeting, and it was noisy. I mean, these guys are noisy, okay? And there was drinking and laughing and making all this noise. And I asked uh, Rachel, she'd share testimony. She's like, what am I going to say? I said, just say what Jesus did in your life. How am I going to do that? Just do exactly what God has talked about, what God has done in your life. And so she sat down and she began to do that. And as she began to do that, the noise gradually gradually began to settle. I thought I was going to have to stand up and say, you guys, someone's talking here, okay? But not at all. They just gradually quieten and quieten and, you know, all the carry-on just gradually settled down and they were totally focused on Rachel. She just sat there and just spoke of what the Lord did in her life and it was amazing. It was an awesome time. God moved. And that testimony could have been as, as powerful as the guy from the mafia and the prison and all that. Because he's done exactly the same thing in us. It's exactly the same thing. He doesn't give more grace, okay, to the guys from the mafia or from the triads. It's exactly the same grace. It's the same. The same love, the same commitment, the same faith, all of that. It's the same. And we just need to get a grip with that. So we don't need to have this amazing testimony. Let's have a testimony of an amazing God instead. The second one there is that, um, that we can be their hope when we allow God to deal with our unbelief and our prejudices. And, you know, we sometimes have this unbelief thing going in our head uh, or in our heart, and it's difficult to overcome that at times. And if you remember um, in Mark 9 and Jesus is talking with a guy, he's a, he's a dad, he's got a son who's always flipping around because of this spirit that's with him. And he says, you know, should we, can I, if, if you can do something, then do something. And, uh, and Jesus says, if, if I can do something, he goes, for him who believes anything's possible. 
What are you talking about? If I can do something. And so, uh, of course, then he says, I believe, help my unbelief. How do you believe but still have unbelief? Well, I think we do. We believe in the Lord, we believe, we trust all those things, but somehow we still have unbelief. You know, I used to work in this uh, place in Hong Kong and uh, in a management company. And um, our, uh, because you're in a management company and you sell management training courses, uh, you have to go through a management training yourself. And so here's me in this training course, and our lecturer is uh, a very nice guy, very educated, very learned, and he is uh, a lecturer with us by night. And in the daytime, he is a director of a bank with a bunch of other guys. And uh, he happens to have on the side uh, a bit of a business guy, so he's also got a couple of hotels, you know, almost in Switzerland and somewhere else. And uh, his wife just happened to be also, uh, she owned a school. And so all these things are going. So this guy is making it happen, okay, in business. And he's our lecturer and stuff. And so as you do when you do uh, lectures with these kinds of courses, you meet with your tutor and all, and he was happened to be the tutor as well. And they walk you through your paper when you submit it. And so I was with him and we we're talking about it. And he said... Um, Okay, I see. I can see you're starting to get this. That's really good. Fine. And he says, let's meet again at the end of the time. And he says, how else do you use these kind of, um, what's this management stuff for? And I said, he said, obviously for work, but do you do anything with us outside? And I mentioned to it about uh, after um, work, I'm involved with the church and particularly in the leadership training and development with people in the church. And he said, oh, really? And he said, how does that work? And I just been explain a little bit. And he goes, um, perhaps we can have a cup of coffee when we get finished. I said, okay, sure. So anyway, we finished the course months later, and, um, and so then we were just chatting again. He said, um, should we get together for a cup of coffee? I said, if you like, you know. So we got together, and he said to me, uh, as we met together and we talked about this, and he wanted me to talk him through a program that I had designed for the, the church. It was like a discipleship training program, basically. And it talked a little bit about uh, spirit, soul, and, and body, and I'm still not really sure why he was so interested, except that he must have had a hunger in his He had all this business stuff going, but he had a hungering in his heart. And so we just had a quick cup of coffee. And then he said to me, listen, I don't know how you feel about this. He goes, can we meet, okay, uh, you know, every other week for a number of mornings, okay? And I'll buy breakfast and I'll do all these things, okay? And if you could just talk to me and walk me through what you're doing in that thing. And I said, it's for uh, Christian stuff, okay? And it's for a church, and these are new leaders. And he goes, yeah, that's right, I, I know. And I said, and it's for, uh, you know, so that we can grow in God and things. And he says, yeah, that, that's, that's fine. And it's just not sinking in, okay? The level of my unbelief is really tapping it up here, okay? And he's just saying, lay it on me, okay? And I'm just not getting it. I'm like, Jesus, what is the deal here, you know? My lecturer wants to sit with me. He wants to pay for everything, okay, so that we can hear about the gospel. And so we did that. So for six or eight weeks, we met together, and we did all this stuff. And he was like, okay, so what does it mean about this? So how did Jesus, and off we go. And sometimes, even though we believe, help me with my unbelief. And it goes on here in our lives and in the church community as well. And so, you know, we're dealing with finances, dealing with challenges. Help my unbelief, Lord. Help my unbelief. Hallelujah. In fact, uh, Jesus, when he's talking to Peter, he says, you've got your, your mind on the things, not on the things of God, but it's on the things of man. Not about the enemy and the devil, it's about the things of man. We've been caught up in the things of man. 
It happens. So that next point there was to deal with our unbelief. To deal with unbelief. And when you think, you go, this guy's never going to receive the gospel. Man, he's a hardhead. He's got this. God is able. Can we say amen? He's able. He's able to do that. Doesn't matter how tough you think it is. Oh, this guy's never going to get saved. Yeah, you never know. Because God is able. Hallelujah. That was number two. Number three, we need to be responsive to God's prompting. When God says something, it may not make sense. It doesn't have to make sense, okay? But recognize that God wants to well, partner with us. Yeah, that's the point, okay? But it's a prompting, okay? And so what's happening here, um, it, it's, it's amazing. Um, I was in Mexico, and I was on an outreach there, and we had been traveling all over the place. And... Um, the van broke down. Mexico is a tough place, and so it's dry and stuff. When, you, when you're not in nice hotels and you're driving the back roads, it's tough. The roads say, do not drive at night. Well, we were on a tight schedule, so we drove at night. And uh, the, the van, uh, which is not very bright, but we did, and we had guys in there who wanted to use the AC, so we got the AC cranked up. So the van is working double time. So by the end of a week in Mexico, the van it has had it. It's clapped out, okay? And so our, our leaders just say to us, listen, to me and one of the guys, and they say, listen, you guys, here we are, we're stuck in Mexico, Nowheresville, Mexico, it's hot, it's dry, okay, you guys need to go find a mechanic to get the van fixed or we are going to be here for a while. So we're kind of in a town, a villagey kind of town, and so um, off we go and we, I mean, I don't speak Spanish, the guy I'm with, he said, oh, I can speak some Spanish, he couldn't really speak Spanish, okay, and so... Uh, Manuel, you know. And so we get out there, and gracias and stuff. So we get out there, and um, I mean, how do you find, uh, you know, there's no app. There's no apps then, okay? There's, there's no, you know, G4 and all that. There's none of that. And so unless it's got a song which says, this is a mechanics in the garage, we're never going to find the place. So we're wandering around in this town. It's like uh, you know, one main kind of street. And there's, there's no sign of anything, which even looks like a garage. or got cars in the front, nothing. A few houses, corner store, you know, selling bread and stuff. Well, this is just not going to happen. So anyway, we went, uh, we just, we're just knocking on doors now. And so we're knocking on the door of this one place. And there's nothing, another place, no, sorry, you know, don't talk in English and stuff. So I knocked on this door, this one place, just another normal house, and the door opens, and a guy opens the door and says, can I help you? I'm like, wow, are you talking English? He goes, yes, I'm from the States. And we said, so what's the deal? He goes, well, I'm just here, okay, so what are you doing here? And we said, we told him the story, and then he said, okay, um, you need a mechanic. He goes, I can tell you, there are no mechanics here. And I said, thanks, praise God. And uh, hallelujah, it's going to be one of those days. And so he goes, but actually, before I came down here, I used to be a mechanic. So he goes, I can fix your thing, probably. Let me see where it is. So he takes his tool bag and out he comes with us. And he goes, so what are you guys doing here anyway? And we said, we're an outreach team. And he goes, like, from where? And I, we told him it was a bunch of churches and stuff. And he said, uh, that's interesting. He goes, I'm a pastor. And I said, we said, really? And he goes, yeah, he goes, let me just get fix your car. So he gets in, fixes the car, no problem, it's done in like 20 minutes. And he goes, why don't you come back for lunch? So we go to his house for lunch, okay. And he goes, so tell me again what the deal is. He goes, and we said, well, we've been doing these outreaches and we're in Mexico and the van's been clapped out and so here we are. And we said, what's your story? And he goes, well, we, you know, I'm a pastor. I was sent out here to do a church plant. And he goes, let me tell you, Mexico is tough to do a church plant. And I said, really? And he says, yeah. So um, to be honest, this morning we're about ready to put it in the can, okay, and say, I think that's about it. Okay, we've done Mexico. It ain't working. So we'll just call it quits right here. And, uh, but 
it's just hearing from you guys what you've been doing and stuff, and we were talking. And so we had lunch, and then we had a worship time after, and then we just were praying for each other and stuff. And, uh, you know, at the end of the time, he just said, well, I, I think we can do it. I think we can do it. I, I can't do it on my own. I can't on my own. I can do it uh, with God. And so uh, our encouragement in that place, the hope, was for a bunch of guys who were in the church but were having a tough time. So we're able to do that. Hallelujah. So we can be, uh, you know, we can, we can encourage people in the church as well. Uh, number four. I don't know if we've got there. Okay. So number three was respond to God's prompting. Number four was to partner with us, really. So, uh, and this was an interesting one, okay, because... Um, God wants to partner with us, okay? Sometimes we think that we are really good. I used to memorize all the scriptures that were kind of outreach-based scriptures. I have more, you know. So guys would ask me on the team, I could bang, bang, give them back these outreach scriptures, you know what I mean? But it's not about how well we memorize the outreach scriptures about what Jesus has done for us in Romans 3.23 and, you know, all that, Romans 6 and all the rest of it. You know, it's God wants to partner with us. It's not about how good my Hebrew and Greek is and not about how much I can persuade you with good talk. God wants to partner with us and... You know, the thing is that when I, I was, uh, I mentioned before about my friend Brian in Hong Kong, and I had been with him for about four years, and I had given him the gospel up one side, across the top, and down the other side, okay? And it still was not sinking in. He's like, yeah, but so, he was a bright guy, he was, you know, uh, already a, a graduate, and I'm thinking, what is the problem with this guy? Is there a force field around his head? Okay, and so nothing is going in. And it just wasn't connecting at all. And so at the end of four years, and we had done everything together. He'd seen me as a single guy. He'd seen me, you know, get engaged. He'd seen us get married. He was at our wedding. He gave us our first dinner plate set. And uh, we, we, we left to come back uh, to Australia. And I just thought, well, that didn't work. I thought the gospel was supposed to you know, get these guys. What's the problem? This guy's a good guy. I'm talking a different language and stuff. And I just didn't get it. And so we came back to visit again in Hong Kong later on, five years later. And when I called his sister and said, is Brian around? He goes, she said, no, he's in the States and he's studying at Cornell University. I said, okay, well, say hi next time you see him. And, uh, you know, we'd kind of kept in touch, but I'd lost at Cornell University. And then 10 minutes later, we get a call from the US and it's this guy on the phone. He said, what are you doing? I said, what are you doing? And he said, um, well, I'm studying at the university now. And he says, I'm also uh, leading a house group now. And he said, I'm also leading the worship in the house group because I'm a believer now. I said, no way. He said, yes, totally. I just thought, well, I must have done a rubbish job, you know. (laughs) Someone's done a good job over there. But see, the point is that we have our part to play. And then maybe there's some other people on the other side that God used them. And so God wants to partner with us. It's not all just on us, you or me or someone else. God partners with us. And so we do you know, our bit and God will do the rest. And so God used someone in the US. And this guy calls back and he says, you know, I'm now in a house group and I'll do the worship. I thought, he didn't ever play guitar when I was with you. And now he's leading the worship, okay? So it's great. God does these things. He wants to partner with us. God wants to do that. It's not about us. It's not about the education. It's not about the experience. Hallelujah. And my final point, I think, here, and Simon Rose raised this in his preach, we've got to do what we can and not what you can't, okay? You can only do what you can, okay? If you're not uh, a, a big-time singer, then don't try doing it. If you're not comfortable with speaking in front of people, then don't bother trying that. 
My mate Phil was great one-on-one. Terrific. Just do that if you can. Just do that. We had a lady uh, at the old people's home uh, in, uh, in Macedonia. Her name was Asteria. And she had planted churches all, around, all over Macedonia with her husband. And, uh, and her husband had died recently, or a little while ago. And here she was now, stuck in a wheelchair and, uh, in this old people's home. And uh, we, I mean, she was just full of fire still, you know. She was right there. And here we were trying to do songs because they said, come and do some songs for us in this place. So we're doing some songs. We're mixing up a little bit with some different types of music and stuff. And then she, you know, beckons us over and beckons some of the girls over. And she goes, I don't want to hear any more music. We're like, what's the problem? She goes, why don't you preach? I'm like, who are you? And so she goes, well, you know, these people don't need music. She's doing it in this kind of Macedonian accent, okay? She goes, well, they don't need music. We need to preach. We need the gospel. I'm like, okay. So, so, so she's not bothered about us doing any kind of music. The other guys go, oh, it's really nice. This guy's, forget the music. We want the gospel. And because she had planted churches with her husband. She was on fire. She's in a wheelchair. You know, she can't walk. But she's doing what she can do. And she's stirring up. She goes, oh, I'm trying to preach to these guys right here. And she was hot, just going for God right there in that place. She was amazing. And so I said, okay, we'll try and hook up a preach for you. So we've got another guy who was a taxi driver who came and he preached. He was a pastor, but a taxi driver pastor. Okay. <laughs> and he came and he was able to do a short little preach at the end. And she loved it. She was like, yes, amen. And so, but you do what you can and don't try and... Do what you can't. Can I have the last picture there? Um, and you'll just, well, the next one anyway. Now, uh, in this picture, okay, this is a picture of four guys with no hair. That was the criteria. You had to be a no hair guy to get in this picture, okay? Some guys got pitched out because they did have hair, so they got pitched out. This is a, a, a no hair picture. And, uh, and the pastor from Macedonia is in there. Now, I don't know if you might get a hint of who he might be out of there. I'll just give you one hint, okay? That the, the tattoo of one of the guy's arms in there uh, is of a very well-known guy from Nazareth, was the son of a carpenter, okay? So who do you think in there is the pastor. You know idea, okay? Not our guys, who do you reckon? The one on the, number one, two, three, or four? What do you reckon? Number one? Yeah, well, it's not the guy with the tat. It's a good tat, okay? <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> He's number three, okay? It's a little guy with a green jacket on in the middle and the black shirt. And, uh, and that is uh, Pastor Sasha. And this guy just loves people. I mean, the bottom line, he loves the gospel. He just loves people. And he just... He cannot walk from here to the back of the room without talking to you. He cannot walk. You, you want to go shop? You, you, you got to pull this guy. Will you come? Okay. He just grabs people and talks to them. And it's not all just preaching. It's just one on one. You got to walk with this guy downtown, and you have to stop all over the place. Uh, just people he's talking to, and you can see that cheeky grin on his face in a way. He just wants to be with people, and he has this thing with one on one with people. That's amazing. I mean, the gas station, the cafe, the coffee shop, the restaurant, wherever. You are, he's just one on one, and so he's doing what he can. That's what he, he, he does. Uh, for him, he also speaks, you know, on mic and stuff as well, but he does that tremendously well. And here he is schmoozing with guys in a bikers club right there, the Lone Knights Motorcycle Club of Macedonia. Okay, and he's schmoozing with these guys who are part of the club and all the rest of it, and he's just hanging out with them because he wants to be with people. And so, just do what you can and don't bother what you can't do. That should be a releasing thing for us, I hope. Okay? You don't feel you've got, you know, if you're not a particular drama person, don't do drama. If you're not a singer, don't do singing. If you're not a 
preach it. Don't just talk with people. Do what you can, what God has gifted you in, and not what you can't. Um, I'm going to finish off with one more slide, okay? And then we're going to do a um, a short song for you, okay? So can I see the last one? For me, for us to be their hope, we need to see that. First of all, we started off with His presence. God's presence was here today. It was tremendous. With his presence and changed lives, we can build a community. We can build a community of God. And that community is both in here and also reaching out to the community out there. But in order to be their hope for outside, we can't do it on our own. We can't do it just by only memorization of, of scripture, only by reading books, only in your terms. We need his presence again. We need his presence. And after his presence, then we can go back into the community again. And this is why it has to be kind of, for me, it's a cyclic thing. Otherwise, we're going to get ourselves in all sorts of tangles. Um, what I've just felt to do here was as I was going through some of the stuff from Catalyst and I was praying through, I just felt that God had something in this word uh, that we heard from Simon Holly. And so I put it to song. And... Um, you know, one of the first things we talked about was about dealing with unbelief. And for me, the unbelief is the breakthrough. He spoke about the God of the breakthrough. And here, for me, the unbelief, well, you know, if we can deal with that, um, God will just do all sorts of other amazing things. It wasn't until Acts 10 that Peter, who's still dealing with Gentiles and Jews and not eating with the Gentiles, but hanging with the Jews, okay, and the Lord brings down a sheet for him to see. It says, don't call what I've called uh, clean, now unclean. And that wasn't until Acts 10. I don't know, maybe it's a timing in God, okay? But today, we're going to sing this song for you. I'm not asking you to learn it. We're just putting the words up for you just so you can see it. We're singing, okay? And if you were there in that preach, hopefully you'll uh, recognize this. You know this preach, you can uh, if you know this preach, uh, you want to close your eyes or something, or if you like to look at the words, you can do that too. It speaks very much of what we have discussed today. You're the Lord of the breakthrough, basking alone in uh, his presence. Revelation of identity, revelation of who we are in you. And uh, Simon spoke about ransacking the word, which just a word means going through the word in a way with a real intention to get answers on the truth and on, uh, on the things of God.
ransacking the word for the truth, the truth of your kingdom come. Ransacking the word for the truth of your word. Lord, you are the Lord of the breakthrough. I'm basking alone in your